Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice Podcast. My name is Richard Brown. And as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, today, Helen and I are joined by Lisa Orme, also known as Lisa Williams, from Keys Mortgages. And Lisa has personally been involved in at least a couple of hundred property deals in her own right over a couple of decades now. But she's also um, involved in helping lots of landlords and developers with their mortgages and other lending requirements as well. So I guess you could say that she's seen a lot over her property career. Um, I won't add too much to this one because uh, there's lots that Lisa has to say and I'll let her do most of the talking for you right now. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Here we are again. It's another day and another great interview opportunity on the Property Voice podcast in our Women in Property series. And Helen, who's with me on the call, but so too is Lisa Orme from Key Mortgages. Lisa, hello. How are you doing? Hi, Richard. Hi, Helen. Hi, Lisa. Are you good? (laughs) Are you well? I'm great. Thank you very much. Yes, lovely. Perfect, perfect. Well, we just had a little preamble and hopefully the technology doesn't get the better of us. Looking forward to a good conversation with you and um, I, I think it's, it's going to go well. But what we normally do in this part of the conversation is, is just ask, if you don't mind, Lisa, to share something about your background and your backstory, considering this is a Women in Property series. And I know you kind of straddle property, but also mortgages or finance and mortgages. So we'll let you paint that picture, if you like. Would that be OK to do that for us? Uh, yeah, no problem. Give me give you a bit of background on how I got here and <laughs> where I come from. Please do. Okay. Um, so I think what's what's interesting, and particularly with the focus on sort of women, is that all of the careers that I've either wanted or have been in have been very male dominated. Um, don't know why that is. <laughs> That's just something in my personality. My mum always dressed me in blue as a baby and said I look much nicer in blue, wasn't a girly girl. So perhaps it's all psychological, nature nurture thing. Um, but basically I grew up I wanted to be an airline pilot. That was all I ever wanted to do. Um, and uh, everything that I did was focused about being an airline pilot. Um, I got accepted for a British Airways sponsorship, which I was ecstatic about and then failed the medical for being too short. Um, so um, <laughs> um, I had various other opportunities offered me, um, sponsorship with British Aerospace, um, university places to do aeronautical engineering, um, but if I couldn't fly them, I just wasn't interested. Um, so uh, I went off to the careers library. It's so bizarre, there's so many things happen like this in my life. Um, call it fate, karma, serendipity, whatever. Um, but I went off pretty depressed to the careers library, sat there with an A to Z of careers, um, and just plopped the book open, and it opened on forensic scientists. 
Um, a lot of people probably are like, what's a forensic scientist? I think more people know about it because of CSI and things like that these days. But um, back in the 80s, um, not many people knew what forensic scientists were. Um, in the entire UK, there was actually about 500 forensic scientists um, who worked for the Forensic Science Service, which was a government department. Um, but my interest had been that my aunt had a bit of a fascination for true crime. And she used to read lots of books by pathologists and about true crime and used to give them to me. So while I was totally focused on being an airline pilot, my very bizarre hobby as a teenager was actually reading uh, true crime novels and about forensic science and uh, murders and, um, and pathology and post-mortems and things. So when this landed on forensic scientists, I knew what it was and I thought, why not? So I applied for the job and got it, um, became a forensic scientist um, and that job for 15, nearly 15 years and absolutely loved it. Um, worked on um, some really high profile crimes that a lot of people would know about um, and really, really enjoyed the job. Um, about the same time, two things happened. One, uh, a friend who I knew at the Forensic Science Service introduced me to Amway, a multi-level marketing company, lots of people know them. Um, I'd never heard of come across multi-level marketing um, or, or Amway or anything and was quite intrigued by this idea. Um, and also at the same time I started working from what I can only describe as the boss from hell. I loved my job but I didn't like the guy that I was working for. Um, so the two things ended up sort of coming together really. One was that as part of Amway, they get you to do lots of reading and motivational books. I'd never read a motivational book up to that point in my life. Everything was either true crime um, or Stephen King, who I was a bit, uh, a bit obsessed by reading his books. And, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm reading about motivational stuff. And one of the books that they give you in Amway, if anybody's ever been in it, or probably any of them network marketing, is Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm. And pretty much most people in property have come across Rich Dad Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. Um, I had that book, hadn't read it, um, chucked it in the suitcase when me and Stuart, my husband, went off to, um, to Australia for a holiday. And it was actually in the final week of the holiday, I thought, oh, I'll have a read of that totally devoured the book um, in, in an hour or so, gave it to Stuart and said, you've got to read this. Um, we were both really, really busy with our jobs across the country, passing ships in the night. Um, and something just really struck in that book that we were going to be continuing to do that until we retired um, or we'd need to find something else to do, uh, find our own way, find our own business. Um, and we pretty much spent the rest of the holiday planning on what we were going to do. And we both decided that we were going to set up our own business and um, didn't know what it would be, um, but we were going to concentrate on, on becoming self-employed and setting up our own business. And we wanted to work together and do something together. Um, meanwhile, came back uh, to the boss from hell. Um, mm. We were looking at other opportunities and what we could do. Um, happened to um to pick up a copy of, of exchange in mart i think it was or something like that um i don't think you even get them these days but it used to be property for sale and businesses for sale and all sorts of things and in there was an advert for a company called Southport, 
who did a become your own letting agent sort of pack. Um, again, I think going back sort of 20 years from now, letting agents weren't on every street corner as they are now, um, that you might find only a couple in each sort of town or city. Um, so it was quite a good opportunity to actually go into that market. So we got the pack. Um, and interestingly, the guys who set up Southcourt all those years ago, um, I know them both really, really well. It's a father and son team, and they're actually, you know, mortgage clients of ours. So it's funny how things come full circle. Um, so, um, so we bought the pack in our spare time, started up a letting agency. Um, and then meanwhile, as I say, I'm working for the boss from hell um, and just could not face going into work. So Stuart said to me, leave then. So I did. <laughs> so I just <laughs> walked out of my nice, highly paid government pension job and, um, and just basically decided to go into property full time. Stuart carried on working so he could pay the bills um, for a while. Um, we carried on running the letting agency. Um, I soon realised, however, that um, letting agents you know, it's not a very lucrative career, to be honest, unless you get hundreds of properties on your books. And mm. But the people who were making the money were the landlords, um, or seemed to be. Of course, we all know 20 years on, that's completely different and we're all broke. But um, at the time, <laughs> the landlords were the ones who were making the money. So, um, so I thought, okay, property. So I started investigating, actually buying investment properties instead. Um, the buy-to-let market was still very much in its infancy mortgage wise um, there weren't very many lenders available it, it had not long started um, before then in the sort of early, uh, late 80s when they changed the whole uh, section 21 notice and went away from assured tenancies again from how things go full circle um, so um, we I basically went out and was negotiating on different property deals and um, pretty much the first property deal that I negotiated was a developer that I'd been chatting to um, about property. And he phoned me up and said, we're at our end of year. We've just had an investor, um, Renee, gone buying four properties. If you take them and can complete on them before the end of the financial year, we'll give you an additional 10% discount from the price that he agreed 12 months earlier. And the market was, was starting to to be quite buoyant then um we'll throw in free stamp duty cover your legal costs and put in all the carpets curtains and light fittings ready to go buy to let investments um so i basically said yeah okay i'll do it i had no idea how i was going to do it <laughs> at the time <laughs> um but uh we we had some uh some savings from an endowment that we'd cashed in so um, got in touch with my mortgage broker that I'd secured at the time and basically we pulled off the purchase of these four properties in, in a little over three weeks. Um, and wow. That included getting the mortgages. Um, so all, all hail to Coventry Building Society and they're one of my favourite lenders but that's who we started out with and got our four mortgages with, with Coventry Building Society. Um, and we bought these four buy-to-lets, got them left um, Interestingly, our first ever tenant uh, trashed the place. That was our first experience of going to court and getting money back. Um, so trashed a brand new property. We ended up having to spend nearly £10,000 on a brand new property to get it back to legible condition. Um, but our second tenant, who literally we only went in a sort of week later, still with us. 
um, 20 years on. Um, and they've actually moved home with us three times. Uh, they've upgraded each time to a better property. Um, and they now live in a nice, big, large, detached show home. And we've also housed their two children as they've grown up. So the kids were little <laughs> when they first let them and they've grown up and we've housed both of their kids. And then they've gone off and gone and got their own places. So that's quite a nice sort of story, um, you know, about how, how things have gone over the sort of 20 years. Um, and then basically the rest is sort of history. We um, just by absolute fluke, I will not claim any credit for seeing that the, the boom was coming in the, the 2000s. I had no idea it just happened, you know, at the same time. So we rode that boom. Um, we did... Um, uh, round about 200 property deals over the following five, seven years um, and retained a portfolio of over 100 properties. Um, others were development, buy and sell, renovation, conversion, we did lease options, um, all sorts of things, you know, that are all the rage now we were doing those 20 years ago. Um, so we did um, all sorts of things um, property related. Um, then the we got married in 2007, went off back to Australia for our honeymoon, came back, Northern Rock went bust and the credit crunch hit. <laughs> so we, um, we sat back, which I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to later, um, but we sat back a little bit and then we're deciding what to do. Um, ironically, on our honeymoon, we'd had another big heart to heart, you know, everything had gone full circle and decided that what we actually liked was the renovations and the buy and sell and that being landlords was actually a lot of hard work well it certainly is with a massive portfolio anyway even with the best agents um and we decided that we were going to pare down the portfolio and concentrate more on buy and sell but we come back to the credit crunch and the market was completely static so we just decided to sit tight the interest rates plummeted which was nice um, so we just decided to sit tight, but within about 12 months or so, I got bored. Um, I'll be writing business plans the day they bury me. Um, so I got bored um, and I happened to be helping out a builder that was building some properties for us. And I was helping him out with some mortgage stuff. Um, just, I wasn't a mortgage broker at the time. It was just he wanted some help with some paperwork and things. And he just randomly said to me, you'd make a really good mortgage broker. And um, he said, you know, you know the market, you're really good at explaining things, you're good with maths, you're good with paperwork. Um, and I just thought, that was interesting. Hadn't even occurred to me. Um, and so went off, did my qualifications. And within about six months of that, I'd set up the mortgage brokerage. And that was 2009. Um, and I've not looked back since. Stuart looks after our portfolio. Um, and I, we don't do as much on the property side now, um, just more maintaining the portfolio, um, selling a few, renovating a few if they need it. Um, and then um, I look after the mortgage business and I absolutely love it. I feel everything that I've done in my life has led me to here in one way or another. I just, um, I love it. I love the problem solving. I love everything about it. And it's like I often joke, I'm a woman that gets to spend millions of other people's money. What's not to love? So, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's, that's my, my background and how I got to where I am.
wonderful story. Uh, and of course, it spans quite a long period of time. Uh, we forget that, you know, you, you, so you were kind of just, you were getting involved when, uh, I like the irony in your, in your response about things going full circle, you know, about buy to let taking off and section 21, you know, and buy to let mortgages all sort of starting to appear. Um, you know, so uh, you've been in, you've been in the game a couple of decades. Uh, you've seen at least one property cycle, depending on your pre- definition of property cycles. Um, but you've seen a lot, I'm sure over that period of time yeah. and of course you the so when um you you still have that portfolio today but you're you're kind of just maintaining it you're not still actively growing it is that is that right yeah definitely i mean for a start it, it was big enough anyway and as i say we would have if the credit crunch hadn't have hit we'd have paired it back a lot anyway um once they introduced the tax changes and all of that we did a lot of research in whether it was worth us incorporating and I think if we were in property for for the longer term and wanted to leave a big portfolio to kids or anything like that, we might have taken a different view and incorporated and all of that lot. But the kids aren't interested in taking over the portfolio. They don't want to be landlords. I think they'd curse us forever if if, if we made them landlords, to be honest. <laughs> um, so, you know, they, they have seen it growing up. Uh, they're both in their 30s. Um, and, you know, they have seen that for the last 20 years. They don't want to be landlords. That's not what they want. So our approach is different to other people that perhaps want to leave portfolios for kids or family or even legacy um, and we decided we didn't want to do that you know sort of 12 years ago um, so George Osborne coming along um, and doing his tax changes and all of that lot um, painful it's got to be dealt with death and taxes as they say um, but for us it was just that extra impetus we just needed that said you know what that th- this we wanted to do this 12 years ago. Now is the impetus. Of course, the market's recovered quite nicely. Um, so we have sold quite a few properties over the last sort of three years or so um, and pared down the portfolio. And the idea is just to have, you know, a number of unencumbered properties that give us a decent rental income as another sideline, a bit of a pension really is the best way to look at it, um, which is pretty much how we sort of always, always saw property. It was just that we got far more involved in it than we ever expected to. Um, and I've always said the portfolio is really about the future and providing a pension, paying for itself until that point, get to an encumbered, you know, a, a number of unencumbered properties so that you, you don't have to worry about mortgages and you just pay your tax and what's left over is yours. Um, and, you know, that's a pretty decent pension to have. And then the day to day was always about making money from somewhere so it was you know buy and sell or renovating or development or whatever and making money from that you sell it you pay your tax and that's it it's actually yours to spend that's your and then that turned into being the mortgage business you know so that's a spin-off business plus we've got a security business letterblocks which is a product we designed and patented um, that Stuart invented a security device. Um, so we've got these are the businesses that pay the day to day, you know, and give you a nice lifestyle and a nice income and pay for the holidays. And then the properties are just about the future, the pension, really. Okay, um, that's really that's really good to hear. I mean, it's you know classic sort of multiple income streams provide for the future and you know keep working to to fund your property activities in a way or. Although you kind of flip flopped a little bit between them, didn't you? And um, but could would it would you say it was um, uh, maybe a leading question, Lisa? Would you say it was it, would it be as easy today to build the portfolio in the way you did back then 
Um, would it be as easy in this current climate? Are there some significant differences? Yeah, I'll, I'll be, I think it depends at which phase you look at. When we first got started, it is very much like it was now. OK, so um, there wasn't yeah. any instant refinancing. The, you typically had to wait six, even 12 months to be able to even think about going back and using equity. Um, but we didn't. We weren't massive fans of instant refinancing and pulling out lots of cash anyway. Uh, even if I did, I would only ever draw out my deposit um, or works costs or something like that. I was always very conscious about leaving money in. Um, if nothing else, I'd come across, you know, the, the capital gains tax trap very early. Um, and that always scared me to death, you know, is that you would end up having to sell a property, but actually owed more on it with your capital gains tax and your mortgage than you had equity in it. So I was always very conscious about not being trapped in that position because I'd seen people that had, um, you know, the people that we were trying to help out, <laughs> you know. Um, so it was always I was always very conscious of not ending up in the same situation as the people I was trying to help. So we were really conscious about not remortgaging to the hilt and pulling out all of the money. But in the early days, we couldn't anyway. That wasn't how mortgages worked. It was far more like it is now. And even now, you've got flexible commercial lenders or specialist lenders who don't really have a six-month rule and this sort of thing. You didn't have those. You had buy to let didn't really exist when we started it was only very much in its infancy the couple of building societies playing in that that market you know mortgage express didn't come until you know several years after we got started so in the very early days it was far more reflective of what it is now but we realized that if we wanted to buy more property we'd have to get cash once you run out of cash you've got to get more so the way we did that was doing the buy and sell. So we would buy, bridge, sell, pay off the bridge, take any profit and bung that into the next property deal. And again, another strategy that I often recommend and always had was give or take a, a, a sell one, keep one strategy. So, yeah. you know, you, a lot of people um, uh, have an obsession about not getting rid of anything that they've bought, you know. And, and as property investors, they are a bit like our babies. You don't want to sell one, um, but to keep going, you do have to realise that you've got to have physical cash and that keep remortgaging and keep raping your properties of their equity is not a great strategy for the long term. Um, and the best way to raise that money to keep building your portfolio is to keep selling. Uh, so, you know, a keep one, sell one strategy or thereabouts is a great way to do that. And that's what we typically did. That's why we did you know, double the number of deals of properties we actually retained, um, if not more so, uh, because we needed to keep that cost coming in. Now, when the true buy to let, you know, really hit, let's say 2004, 5-ish, and you had your MX and your instant refinances, I'll be the first one to say, yes, it got a little bit easier, probably speeded things up, if nothing else. But we still did the same strategy. If anything, we were selling more properties to make more cash um, because cash is full, you know, and it's money you can spend. I've always been conscious of that. You know, people who, uh, you know, remortgage and then go off and have a holiday on it or whatever, that's really, really, well, not that the lenders would allow you to do that, but, you know, let's face it, people do, or live off their equity and things like that. That's a really, really bad strategy. I've always been a fan of, 
you know, if you want money to live off, to spend and to do what you like with it, sell a property, pay your tax and the rest is yours to do with what you like. And if you want that money to go into another property, then that's great too. Um, but use physical cash to do it um, and, and just keep buying and selling as well as buying and keeping. And I do see that a lot with investors. Once they've got a property, they're really afraid to let it go. Um, but I don't think you should be afraid to let it go. Um, I had a, um, an interview once with the nationwide commercial. They used to be quite big in commercial lending. Again, outside getting a couple of buy to let in the early days, you needed to then be speaking to commercial lenders. You couldn't get 30, 40 properties with, with a single lender like when MX came in and this type of thing. Um, and lenders these days. And so I spoke to a few commercial lenders and I remember speaking to an old timer at Nationwide Commercial and he you know, assessed all the portfolio and everything and said, yeah, we're happy to back you. You've got a fantastic portfolio. He said, but there's one thing I'll tell you, you're not selling enough. And oh. that was really interesting because in the early days we were a bit more green and naive and wanted to keep up with what we bought. And he said, you've got to start selling. And we said, cash is king, that's where the cash comes from. Don't take it out as equity. And that's what we did and from that point forward. It was, it was one of those light bulb moments in life. And we started selling a lot more than we were retaining. And that was a cash, nice lifestyle because it's our money to spend, but it also gave us the money to buy more properties. So I think I'll answer your question and go full circle. A lot of people want to retain everything and still build their portfolio. And you are going to run out of money. You know, lenders, particularly, mm-hmm. don't want to give you all of the money out of the property. They want to see that you've got mm-hmm. some skin in the game. Um, and therefore, if you retain everything, you are going to run out of money. And therefore, the perception is it's a lot harder to do it these days than it was in the mid-2000s. Yes, I think that's to a degree, but only because a lot of people aren't prepared to sell. And I think if they did more deals and sold more, they would then get more money to be able to build their portfolio quicker instead of not wanting to sell anything and want to remortgage everything. And therefore, they feel stuck that they can't build the portfolio as quick. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Um, And it's a a really interesting perspective. So don't be afraid to sell. Um, I think a lot of people just might not have thought about things in that way. But it's probably a a good moment to ask you about your greatest successes in your property journey. And perhaps if you're willing to share it with us, uh, your biggest mishap. (laughs) Oh, how long have you got? Um, (laughs) um, Interestingly, I'm I'm just writing a book on that, um, which is about our lessons, our journey. Um, I'm focusing on a whole load of um, of different property deals that we've done and talking mm. about the lessons that are within them. Um, some of them are quite funny and amusing. Um, others are, are real proper lessons you know, um, about you know, things that you might overlook or paperwork or whatever. So I, I hope that when I eventually get one, publishing it, um, that uh, people find it really useful. But it was just quite a, a it's not going to be a problem because it's not available. So it was just um, to, to mention it there that there has certainly been enough mistakes to write a book about it. <laughs> like that. Um, but um, the highs, um, I mean, individual, you know, property deals, successes, um, 
you know, selling a property, buying a property and reselling it within a week and making 60 grand profit. Um, mm. That's a high, you know, there's, there's no doubt about that. But those mm. aren't the ones that I look back on and, and go, oh, wow, you know, that, that, that's fantastic. It's actually the problem solving ones that I love. Uh, the ones, and even as a mortgage broker, it's the same. Um, achieving a mortgage for a first-time buyer that everybody is told is unmortgageable and that could be 70 grand that has made a massive difference to them would Mm. be far more meaningful to us than doing a 10 million pound development deal for somebody who would get the money every day of the week do you know what I mean so yeah come from the small victories and the things that I just feel make a difference. And it's similar with that. Like, um, So, for example, Lane, um, a couple contacted us. Um, as is often the case, they were left till the very last minute. And they contacted us and said that the next morning, the bailiffs were coming to turf them out of their house, um, having basically missed a number of mortgage payments due to ill health and stuff like that. And it, as is typical, they think it's never going to happen. And the bailiffs were coming the next morning. Uh, we went around to see them, um, had a look at their finances. Long and short is, is that, you know, we paid off some of their, their debt. We paid off their arrears with the mortgage lender the next morning. Uh, we literally found an exchange of contracts in their, their living room to prove to the lender that a deal had been done. Paid off their arrears. Um, stopped the bonus coming um and long and short is is you know we overpaid for the property they sat there lovely so naive couple with their their with all their toys around them you know they're about to talk out their house and it was just fatal thing as a property investor you know emotionally involved and i was like i can't i can't not do this um, so we saved them from, from repossession. They, this is when you could do sale and rent back, although it's fully regulated now, but there are really good, genuine examples of where sale and rent back helped people like this couple. And unfortunately, now the regulators will stop that type of thing happening, which is a real shame, but don't get me on the soapbox. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, so we, we helped this couple. Um, this was uh, about 2005. Um, they are still with us um, as tenants. Uh, so the kids are now all grown up. Um, mm. They have had the odd little problem, um, but we've always helped them um, through it. And other than the odd little problem, pretty much never missed a rent payment. They look after the property. We never hear from them. Um, they still keep it as a long time. That's the whole point. It, it was and always will be. Um, and I so. That was a win from doing the right thing, I felt. What is really interesting is that I knew I'd overpaid for that property. I knew I mm. had. And how fate can sometimes reward you is during the credit crunch, or after the credit crunch, a number of lenders were in their loan book. And they were writing to the borrowers and saying, if you can clear this mortgage, we will give you a discount. And one of the lenders did that with us and contacted us and said, we will give you a discount on these two mortgages if you take them as well. One of them, interestingly, was on this property, plus one other one that we owned, and we took the mortgages as well. 
and they gave us a £65,000 discount on the mortgage, wow. which more than made up for what I'd overpaid for the property in the first place. Um, so mm. things like that are a real high where you do think, I know I did the right thing, I know I overpaid for it, but then the universe comes back and rewards you in some other way. Um, and, you know, I think that's a real irony that for all the properties that we bought, the one, you know, well, we are two. And interestingly, the other one that we got the discount on was a very, very similar scenario with a mother and son who'd got themselves into difficulty. Um, and we did the same and went back with them. He is still with us. Unfortunately, he's, he's lost his job a couple of times. We've helped him through. His mum's since passed on, but he's still there. Um, and every single time, he ends up paying what he owes, and it goes back to normal again. And again, you know, sort of overpaid for it, felt a bit sorry for them. Lo and behold, it was the, the out of all of the properties we bought, the two that we got that discount on were the two where I knew I'd done the right thing, but I'd overpaid for it. Um, so it's a funny old world. <laughs> So, yeah, so things like that are what I would regard as highs, um, not making, you know, half a million quid off a deal or something like that. Um, and the, I think another thing that I would regard as a high, I just, and I don't mean this to be arrogant, but I, I just have always felt, no matter what has been thrown at me, regulations, changes, the credit crunch, all of this, that I've always been able to adapt and find a way through um, because I'm a, pro- I'm a natural problem solver. My favourite game as a kid wasn't Monopoly, like most possible possible. <laughs> I was a forensic scientist for 15 years. You know, everything's <laughs> problem solving. Um, 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 and I, I just think I have a natural ability for that. It, it works really, really well in the mortgage business. I love it. Um, and that's definitely what you need to do as a problem solver, quickly when you're in the specialist market like we are. Um, mm. But I just sort of pride myself on that, how we've always done as a business as well. Um, you know, we've always found a way through and always managed to capitalise rather than be penalised by any changes and things that are coming about. Um, so I sort of pride myself on, on that as well. Um, lows, I'm not a massive fan of treating anything as a low because I think even bad stuff leads you to where you're meant to be. Um, so I'm, I'm quite a sort of half... Um, that's a full sort of person really um, I think uh, a lesson would be or, or several lessons um, firstly in property one of my worst deals that I did was also one of my nicest was um, a property we bought out of town I've, I say this to clients all of the time to my mortgage clients all the time stick with where you know don't go more mm. than half an hour where you live Stick with what you know and where you know. I broke my own rule and bought a property up in Leeds in Staffordshire. Um, and um, it was, it turned out to be an absolutely stunning renovation. Absolutely, I was so pleased with it. I still look back on the photos now and think I was so pleased with what we did. Um, but it was an absolute nightmare to manage. Um, Posted <laughs> up and down the entrance, the toll road. We had to pay our builder extra money so that he could, you know, he'd. he'd be prepared to go up and down the toll road and um, sleep on the, the floor at the property while he was doing the because it needed major works, major works. Um, but everything that went wrong with that deal was about the fact it wasn't on my doorstep. Um, mm. You know, trying to deal with tradespeople at a distance. And this is 
only, you know, Coventry to Staffordshire. We're not talking the other side of the planet. Um, yeah. But even that was, was a major hassle um, of just having to go up there and deal with tradespeople and things like that. And then we persuaded our builder that we had here to go and do the project for us and just paid him more to cover his extra costs and everything. Um, so sticking to my rules is really important. Um, and one of those I say clients all the time is about stick to where you know, stay local. Um, so that was one of the, the things. I love the renovation that we did in the end, but it was a real lesson for sticking to my, my rules. And every time I don't stick to my rules, it comes and bites me on the bum, so I keep reminding myself. Um, and <laughs> I think generally, um, don't ever think things are going to stay the way they are <laughs> would be mm. it's not a low it's more a lesson but you just think everything's sorted you just think you've just got it right and then the likes of George Osborne come along or some jumped up Welsh MP who thinks he's going to change the world by scrapping section 21 and you know or you know you don't start me on Europe and the EU but um, you know they start getting involved in our, our mortgage regulation and all of this lot when mortgages here are completely different to what they are in the rest of Europe and then they you know they shake up the, the regulations or we have a change of government or all sorts of things just as you think it's it sorted just as you think ah I can think about somebody will come along and screw it up <laughs> and that, that might be it might be an MP it might be a prime minister it might be you know, bloody terrorist. It might be you. It could be a business partner. It could be somebody you're working with. Somebody will come along and screw up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just don't ever think that everything is static, and always be sort of two steps ahead of yourself. If you know what I mean. You know, mm-hmm. we've all heard sort of SWOT analysis. Um, you know, in businesses and stuff like that. And it's it's well worth doing that type of thing on you know on your own life almost uh, on your property business. Literally look at where are my strengths, where are my weaknesses, what are the opportunities, but more importantly, what are the threats, and think mm. what is the worst that could happen. You know, what if interest rates go to six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent? Yeah, what if? Don't just sit there in denial. Think about all mm. of these things. What if? Labour come in and we have rent controls and we have section 21 scraps and we have this, that and the other. What will be my response to those? Can I cope? Um, and what will I do if those things happen? Because sure as eggs is eggs, they will. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for sure, Lisa. Um, it reminds me of the old um, girl guiding motto, be prepared. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. About failure and, and blah blah blah. It's absolutely about, about preparing for the worst, basically. Come mm. for the best and prepare for the worst. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I think also, um, yeah, there have been quite a lot of changes in the property market in recent years, but Many people that Richard and I have spoken to um, have said you have to be able to adapt 
and often the most successful investors are those who see challenges as opportunities and look at working in a different way, perhaps changing strategy or adapting things to make the most of, of the market they find themselves in. So thank you for, for sharing those great examples, Lisa. I think you've given us a little insight into your your own values in some of those. So maybe you could tell us a bit more about your principles and your values um, and perhaps things you'd never change, things you might do differently in future. Be lovely to hear about that. Okay. Um, again, I'm not, um, I'm always a believer in, in um, even the bad things lead you to where you're meant to be. And, um, it's so I, I'm, I'm not one for regrets or anything like that. Um, it's it, I think it, even when really bad things have happened, in hindsight, we've often looked back and said that was meant to be. Um, and you know that's personally and uh, you know and in business. Um, you know I, I won't go into details, but one of the, the sort of worst things that that ever happened, you know, was was. Um, you know a joint venture that went wrong with a business partner and this sort of thing um but actually it ended up with me taking a whole different direction business-wise um and ended up being the best thing that could have ever happened um if i think back to my boss from hell um sort of scenario um the irony is is as painful as he made my life at the time um i would now shake his hand because it was him that made me walk out that day and um and then lead on to better things and you know i just have the most amazing life um and absolutely love what i do and if he had been the boss from hell i probably wouldn't have had the courage to just walk out so all of the bad things that have happened have always led me to a much better place so i i don't have any regrets or ever think i wish i'd done something differently um because i wouldn't be where i am um as a result so I don't have any regrets as, as, as such. So I guess that's one of my big philosophies is even when things just look at their absolute worst. And and I have, I have been there, you know, a couple of times, um, you know, wondering how I'm going to pay the bills. Everybody can look and, you know, I'm, I'm heavily involved in Facebook and I always try and, and be, you know, very positive on Facebook. I'm always very positive with family and friends and stuff, but that doesn't mean bad things haven't happened to me um it doesn't mean that i haven't been in the depths of despair um and it doesn't mean that i haven't sat there sometimes wondering how i'm going to pay the bills or um you know am i going to are we going to go bankrupt are we going to lose this business are we going to lose this property um that type of thing i've been there I'm, i've known those moments um so but it also means i can i can look back on them and go but it got me to where i am today um and and so i think that's a big philosophy is that no matter how bad things are in your life at the moment chances are they will get better and chances are you'll look back on this as a as either a learning exercise or um or has led you to a better place so if anybody is listening and it's like you know i'm just in the depths of despair stay positive is all i can say and it's a really hard thing to do when you are feeling 
um, but it is also it's like flexing a muscle um, it, you know your positivity muscle is something you have to flex you have to keep being positive you have to keep telling yourself that things will get better and surprisingly they do start to just by having that change of attitude and change of thought um, I'm a massive advocate of that and I think that, that can happen um, so I think positive thinking not having any regrets um, trying to always look for the good and the positive in even the worst situation those are all my sort of philosophies on on life is what I would say um, and uh, being grateful for what you've got and I don't mean that patronizing because also I'll be grateful for what you've got I do genuinely mean that um, that it's again Facebook world social media world it's all really easy to look at other people's lives and think they've got it great and they've got it perfect we all know social media is generally people put out the best of, of themselves and their life um, so I would say generally in property anyway take an awful lot of what you hear with a pinch of salt <laughs> concentrate on your own life and what's important to you just because somebody else has got a hundred properties or a hundred million pound portfolio or a Porsche or whatever doesn't mean that's what you want doesn't mm. mean that that's what's right for you and I also think it's important to recognize what comes with those things quite often is either work or responsibility or a personal life that actually you don't want um, mm. and I think the quicker people realize that the happier they'll be you know I know people with massive portfolios of properties I know people with multi-million pound businesses um, I also know the effect that that has on their personal lives their family lives um, and all those the things that come with and people often want all of those good things without all of the responsibility or the commitment or whatever that comes with it and there is always I'm a great believer in there being an equilibrium in everything whether that I often say to clients this with with HMOs for example everybody wants to do HMOs and I go that's fine yep you get the extra cash flow you get the extra um, uh, income from them but you don't have to get a lot of extra work as well you get a lot of extra mm. hassle you get a lot of extra work and that's fine if you're happy to balance that out if somebody's saying to me I want my properties to be passive I want to spend time with my kids I want my properties to be hands-off well I'm sorry that comes with a lower yield and hands-off fully managed let's typically um, and so there's that balance in everything in investments we all know a classic investment rule if something sounds too good to be true it probably is that's mm. because if it's got higher returns it's higher risk yeah we all know that and I think that applies to life in exactly the same if you want those higher returns in life it's going to come with higher risk and that higher risk might be family time commitment that you can give to your kids harder work having to work evenings and weekends instead of spending time with family or doing your hobbies or whatever everything is that equilibrium and if you want that if, if having a hundred million pound business having a thousand properties if that is your absolute driving goal and you're prepared to work nights evenings weekends almost give up your social life and your personal life and commit to that that's absolutely fine if that's what you want but invariably yeah. people don't <laughs> No. Well, I mean, you, you, I, I'm just listening intently, Lisa, what you're saying. It's absolutely true. And um, funny enough, I've just come off another interview. I did this one early on my own. And um, I was quite surprised 
actually <laughs> my my last question was something like um can anybody do what you've done and you know so you, this will be released later on in in the spring and I'll, so i'll save that for later but the response essentially was um no <laughs> and mm -hmm. you know also talking about responsibility and i think this this idea of balance that you talked about and i i probably don't want to take us too far on a tangent in in the interest of time lisa but I'll just picking up really as a bit of a link to what you said because there's a balance between rights and responsibility you know mm -hmm. there's a balance between highs and lows there's a balance between you know uh, you know problems and things going well and you're quite right in what you say you know people say i wish i had your life and not seeing the dark you know some of the downsides or you know things have uh, perhaps gone wrong um, you know in our own lives but there's things have gone much worse in other people's lives you know, just had to be sat in a ch church in Sri Lanka over the weekend to know that. And, um, I, I you know, so, more. yeah, so I, totally, you know, buying into what you're saying. But as I mentioned, and, and I think it could go on uh, quite a long time, but maybe just get a bit of insight, actually, your insight into the future. And I know what you said earlier is you said you didn't call the, the boom and possibly didn't therefore call the subsequent crash. I don't know. But I'd be really interested because you straddle the two camps, don't you? Because you've obviously got your own portfolio property portfolio but you're on the sort of the mortgage market as well and mm -hmm. uh, maybe you've got maybe you've got a unique insight because of the uh, the, the vantage point that you've got what would you say is uh, what what might we expect in terms of future direction and trends from your vantage point Lisa it's a really interesting time and having been through several cycles and watched it and obviously been far more interested in the cycles before we even got in property as well and and studying those is there there always seems to be some sort of external force that comes along at the opportune in inverted commas moment everything and that's what i said about you know never trusting it's all going to stay fantastic because it doesn't and what's really interesting at the moment is that we were we were starting to come around to that that 10 year cycle again um you know credit crunch 2007 8ish uh, and we all know that it's roughly sort of 10 year cycles give or take and we were starting to come around to it but with no real external force you know there wasn't really any change fairly you know buoyant but fairly static market static interest rates to a certain degree fairly static but buoyant economy and then lo and behold we have the whole brexit disaster on a brexit as massively the disaster for me is that democracy is not being upheld that's the side issue however what what it has created is, is this uncertainty in the marketplace and i find it um and then we've got potentially sort of section 21 we have the tax changes we have the statutory changes all of these external forces give or take at around about a 10-year period and if you go back and study the markets i don't know whether you could look and say oh that is what created the boom or bust or it was ready for a boom or bust and then something promoted that it's it's a bit like nature nurture which one is it you know and i think there's always elements of both mm. but if you go back and have a look you know, exchange rate mechanism, more, you know, MIRAS, change of governments, things happen that create these boom and busts. And we were ready for the next cycle, but you're looking at it and going, oh, I wonder what's going to cause that. And then, as I say, we have the Brexit disaster, we have the tax changes, 
potentially got Section 21 changes and things like that coming up. And it's fascinating to watch and see the effect that that has. Clearly, Brexit is having a big effect on the London market. Um, and that's mostly because there's so much overseas investment um, that the overseas investors have got nervous, but also other markets are proving better. Um, you know, the stock market is, is proving better, taking money out of property and putting it into that, putting money into, uh, you know, more emerging economies, um, that type of thing, or countries pulling back. Uh, China has, has done really, really well, so they've been pushing money elsewhere. Um, that are not looking so good, so they're pulling money back home. That's not all Brexit related, but it is a bit of a, a catalyst. Uh, for those sort of things happening and people choosing to put their money elsewhere. So London, therefore, is suffering. The rest of the country is still doing quite well off the back of the London ripple of when it was booming. So that mm -hmm. ripple is still filtering out and the rest of the country is still quite buoyant. And of course, we have the classic supply and demand issues still going on pretty much anywhere that's going to keep property prices fairly buoyant. Um, but anything that was over is going to be false and i think that's what's what's happened in in london um and that again will probably ripple out and we'll start to see a little bit of a cooling over the next year or two with with property prices because that's just the way the cycles go but i think still being kept firmly by the lack of supply similar mm. to the rental market we i think we're long overdue a hike in rentals um we started out as less than agents 20 years ago and i'll be perfectly honest given a 20-year double cycle and 20 years worth of growth rental prices have not grown anywhere near what they should have done by natural market economics over a 20-year period nowhere near what you could get a two-bed rent a two-bed semi in coventry 20 years ago for maybe 525 you might get 625 100 pounds increase mm. over 20 years is not a lot and i've often looked and thought i wonder what will spark that increase because i would like to say it's like merch will something spark it or will it happen and then that'll spark something else well of course interestingly we've had the tax uh changes now we've potentially got the section 21 we are already speaking to lots of landlords who decided that it's not for them and they're going to get out, it's fine, you know, while it works for both parties, but we're not charities. Um, and at the end of the day, market economics will prevail. Um, with a lack mm. of supply, rents will go up. And the very people that are trying to protect tenants will be the ones that will end up paying more for it. Um, and, you know, so I think we will see, while we may see house prices hit a little bit over the next couple of years, and landlords hit with the taxes and extra costs if they incorporate and all of these sort of things, is that actually I think we will probably see quite an increase in, in rental over the next five years or so, which to be perfectly honest has been long overdue. Um, because Lisa. had they gone up more slightly over 20 years, we wouldn't have seen such an increase. I'm sorry if I can just jump in there, Lisa. That's yeah. really interesting um, and perhaps leads perfectly on. We're running out of time now, um, but it'd be great to get your top tips for, you know, perhaps newbie investors. And as this is a women in property series, particularly for, for women who are considering going into property investment right now. Um, 
I think, um, firstly, I wouldn't make any distinction at all between being mm-hmm. a woman and being a man. <laughs> that, that would be the first thing. So I've always been in male-dominated colors. Um, uh, I, I, you know, for me personally, no glass ceilings, no none of this. Yes, I've had. Uh, it was quite funny going to negotiations or whatever with my husband because he's sort of the silent partner, and um, he has no qualms whatsoever in pushing me forward. That's very much how our relationship is. Um, and quite often, you will see at agents or you know at the bank or whatever talk to my husband. And he every <laughs> time will turn around and go, "Oh, you're the wrong person, mate. She's the one you need to speak to." Um, <laughs> so, so that's you know, really great that he does that, and he never has a qualm with doing that at all. So yes, we face that that type of sexism where they always think, "You know, if you're the woman, you you know, you're in the background sort of thing." Um, but I do think mm-hmm. there is a woman that embrace that, you know, and and it has its uh, you know moments that you you can take advantage of that. Let's just say. Um, but also don't be afraid to, you know, to stamp your feet a bit and go, oi, uh, it's me you need to be speaking to, you know, or, don't, you know, I, I, may, I may look like a woman, but, <laughs> you know, don't underestimate me. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, don't be afraid, don't be intimidated. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's very much a woman's world if you want to make it that way. Um, so I would say don't, don't expect to be... Um, to be treated as an equal, but demand to be treated as an equal, um, mm. is what I would say. Um, my top tip for everybody, not just new people, above all else, not only as a property investor, but also saying this from the mortgage broker and seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients every single year, is to get organised. I I don't know whether it's property investors or it's just the fact that we come across them more than anybody, but they are, without doubt, the most disorganised people you will meet in your life. Um, <laughs> oh, <I'm> Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would just say, you know, get organised right from property number one. A token somebody knows it is so hard when you get to property number 10 or 20 or whatever to remember what you did on your first one and then to find all your receipts. And then to remember what you did with this property, or 10 years later when you have a tax investigation and thinking, crap, what did I do? Um, you know, all of these things get organised, put some time aside. Stop watching Game of Thrones, no, that's not, no, watch Game of Thrones first, and then get organised. <laughs> um, um, you know, just get your life organised, everything about it, from it, it transposes every area of your life. If, we, we can always see this hand on heart. If we see a client that is disorganized with their paperwork, you can hand on heart bet that their finances are also disorganized and that their portfolio will be equally disorganized. You are not organized in one area of your life perfectly and, or, or, or disorganized in one area of your life and then everything else is perfect. It is, it is something that transposes every area of your life. And these things will come back and bite you badly. If, if mm. you have a missed payment and you're trying to obtain buy to let mortgages, it can affect you really, really badly. Um, and not opening your posts, not responding to to bills or thinking it'll wait, um, you know, is, is where these things can go seriously wrong and seriously affect you for, for a very, very long time. Um, like I say, tax investigations, taxes um now we've been selling more properties over the last couple of years oh, excuse me 
Um, it's things like going back over the paperwork from when you bought them and remembering all of the things that you can now claim for that you couldn't claim against income because they are part of capital expenses. And if you can't lay your hand on receipts for planning applications, architects fees, um, you know, uh, stamp duty costs, arrangement fees, all sorts of things that, you know, build costs, all sorts of things that are capital expenses, you could be losing thousands, absolutely thousands. I did an exercise last year with our tax returns and had gone back over a whole load of our paperwork that we'd had scanned in. And I calculated that I'd saved roughly £20,000 in tax alone. Wow. By managing to put my hand on old paperwork. That I, I would challenge, honestly challenge most investors to be able to put their hands on 20 years on. Well, the, um, you're, you're right. I, I, to be honest, I, I've, I sell uh, properties along the way. I kind of do a portfolio review each year. I assess what you know what's going on with each particular property. Uh, I do actively look to kind of um, sift and recycle, and, and the sort of digging out the paperwork from several years prior is, is is definitely a challenge at times. I'm not the most organised in terms of paperwork, but um, I've kind of you know you, they say you can teach yourself, can't you? I, I do try, and you know I've got all my paperwork in a central place for each property, so that's something. Um, I do cash flow um, forecasts, etc. But I think that the current sort of regulatory environment for mortgages, and you know this really well, Lisa, obviously from where you're sitting, does require you to be a lot more organized. And I don't confess to be the best uh, in having all my paperwork here, you know, lined up. But, you know, I can pull it out and pull it together when I need to. And I, but it is somewhat dragged, kicking and screaming. So um, it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great piece of advice. And I do agree. Yeah. And I'm just going through, I think, three or four refinancings right now. It's painful. It's really painful. But so it's definitely the amount of paperwork you have to produce these days, and and you know you'll get people complaining about oh this lender was really slow or this broker was really slow, and I have to say nine times out of ten it is the client providing the paperwork. You know the broker wants to get the, the deal to completion, as does the lender. Anything sent in is typically responded to within 24 to 48 hours with most lenders. They're not incentivized to have it sat on their desk any more than a broker is. If there's delays, invariably it's just the client pulling that paperwork together. Um, and the more organized you are, the quicker your deals are going to go through. It's as simple as that. Yes, um, I should mm. take that medicine, uh, definitely. So thank you. <laughs> um, so um, just, just kind of conscious about our timing, Lisa, to be honest with you. So I think um, maybe building to a close, if there's any way people can contact, I guess. You haven't really spoken about your business of you know the mortgage business that you have, so you're quite welcome to to share something about that and what you do, and if you are open for people to reach out to you. I know you're highly visible on social media, uh, and you've been very um how do I put it um, calm, let's say, and um, <laughs> un- understated. That's the word I'm looking for. You've been understated in many of the things that you said on this uh, episode, but. If anyone wants to know about your views on certain topics, then you can just reach out to you on social media. So there's the cue for you to talk about your business, how people can contact you and, and those sort of things. That's okay. Yeah, thank you so much, Richard. Um, I just stated that's something my husband would never agree with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, social media is, is my big sort of platform, particularly Facebook. Um, 
if you if you Google um, or search for Lisa, or uh, um, you'll find me on on social media. You'll find other podcasts that I've done. I've been featured in several books, um, articles. As I say, I've been on social media since before it was called social media. Um, so you'll find old articles and things. Um, we've just put all of our website. Um, so you'll find a whole load of things on the website about our business, what type of business we do. Um, we, we do say we're specialist focused only because we, we love the problem solving. And um, we also do lots of sort of specialist finance, bridging development, commercial, HMO specialists, um, that type of thing. But we'll be, you know, if you need a walking, we'll, we'll do it. It doesn't matter what it's for. It doesn't matter the say if it's a first-time buyer. Um, we're happy to do it. We just love being in that, that specialist realm and, and helping you know, the problem cases or the landlords, the portfolios that type of thing that um that a lot of high streets um for the millibases don't touch so we love being in that market but if you need a mortgage we'll do it so there's loads of info on the website which is um keysmortgages.com but again if you call either keys mortgages or google Lisa, you'll find it uh, there's also loads of um of case studies news updates regulatory updates not just lending but also i try and cover the general rental and property market and changes on there uh, hints and tips um you know legally avoiding stamp duty surcharge and things like that you know if we come across strategies and things we'll put those on there um if you are on facebook um uh, two places to go one is our keys mortgages page that's the sort of official mortgage page um which is public just follow the page and you'll get you know hints and tips and case studies and news and things come on there um, but I've also got a Facebook group it's, it's member only but anybody can join um, and if you go on Facebook and look for Keys Property Finance but it's been a pleasure to talk to you today thank you so much for sharing uh, it's been really insightful I've made a lot of notes and um, I just just want to say thanks again thank you thank you both so much I really appreciate the invite it's been great fun thank you yeah you take care and speak soon Well, that was, you know, an action-packed uh, or full-on uh, discussion, obviously, with Lisa. She's got a wealth of experience and knowledge, as you can no doubt hear. I don't really plan to add too much to that. Obviously, it was quite a long episode, so I'm just going to draw a line. Um, the show notes are over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net, and I'd be more than happy to hear from you, as, as indeed would Helen. Uh, by all means, drop us a note, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, if I can say it correctly. And uh, we'd be more than happy to hear from you. But I guess all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list.